Hello and welcome back to the Gator Congregation. I'm your host, Juan Aguerrevere, and today I'm joined by all the members of the congregation. And we're all ready to talk about the round of 16 and the future quarterfinals of the FIFA Women's World Cup. Each one of these four upcoming matches will feel like a World Cup final. Don't forget to follow us on SoundCloud for more audio content. Also, check out WRUF for all our written content up to this point. Our Twitter handles will be in the description below, so make sure you follow us. Without further ado, let's get episode 9 started. We're going to start this episode by previewing the first quarterfinal game between Norway and England, which will be played Thursday, June 27th. Joe, who has been in charge of Group D, has followed England throughout the tournament. Joe, I want you to tell me how England got here, briefly tell me about group stages, and dive deeper into that round of 16 game against Cameroon because it was an interesting one and somewhat controversial. Well, at least the Cameroonians think so. How are you, Joe? Hey, Juan. How you doing? Good, good. So, tell me about England. So yeah, England had a great start to the tournament going 3-0 in group play, winning all of their matches and topping Group D. Uh, in the first match, they faced off against Scotland and won 2-1. Uh, Nikita Paris kicked them off with a penalty, and then Ellen White finished things off, and she wouldn't stop there. She would continue that, to have a good tournament, along with Jody Taylor, the other striker who would start alongside her as Phil Neville's been rotating the squad. In the second game, England-Argentina Taylor got the start up top. She was the one that made the breakthrough um, against the very stout defense that Argentina had all tournament. And then finally, they played Japan to decide who would top the group, and they won 2-0 uh, with both goals coming from Ellen White. So she had three goals in two games up to that point. She's pretty good, man. I'm yeah, a she's, a, she's a quality finisher. She uh, she really makes no mistake in front of goal. If she has half a chance, she's probably going to finish it. Mm-hmm. Um, moving into the round of the round of sixteen, they faced off against Cameroon, who finished third in Group F. Um, and this was this was a very cagey affair. Affair. Um, the refs had a big part in it. VAR had a big part in it. It started off early on in the game. Uh, there was a back pass from one of the Cameroons defenders to the keeper and it was ruled a handball um the ref called an indirect free kick in the box yeah that was that was crazy and the goal itself was pretty nice she got it, it in but those are difficult to score it captain. was but, but the uh the call was interesting in my opinion i did i really didn't think it was a pass back I, it kind of went off the defender's shin and it didn't look intentional at all but the ref saw it another way uh and steph houghton stepped up and buried it she put it right in the corner and um, they had the line covered, but they still couldn't keep it out. And then Ellen White would continue her dominance in the tournament. She stepped up and scored right before the half uh, to make it 2-0. And it looked like the game was over at that point. But right after halftime, Cameroon came out, and they scored within, like, I think it was within a minute or two minutes. Um, they scored, but after VAR review, they they looked at the play and Ajara and Shoot, the goal scorer, looked to be in an offside position, but it was down to basically her pinky toe. It was so close, and that was kind of where it all went wrong for Cameroon. Um, it looked like they were right back in the game, but because she had you know, just a fraction of her foot offside, it got taken back. And England went right down to the other side of the pitch, and they scored around eight minutes later. Alex Greenwood scored off a corner kick, um, looks like one from the training ground came in low to her. She finished it first time. Mm-hmm. 
and the game was just over at that point. And Cameron started to lose their head a little bit. The players looked like they were, they were going to boycott the game. The coach. Yeah, that's what it looked like. It yeah. was uh, the the coach actually kept them in sides because after they took away that goal, they got really, really, really mad. And I saw it. I was watching it uh, with a friend here. And when I saw the play, I was like, that was offsides. Then the cross comes in and they score. But it was the pass beforehand that was offsides. And that's where the confusion lied. Like, they, they were just like, the, the cross itself was onsides. Like, the cross for the goal, the assist. But the pass before was off. And that's what they didn't understand. And that's where it caused, like, a little bit of drama. And the coach had to get involved to keep them in the field. And we've seen this Cameroonian team get hot-headed throughout the tournament. We saw it happen against uh, the Netherlands. So yeah, absolutely. I'm, 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 not, I'm not too surprised. I'm not too surprised. Yeah, um, but I do think the game was rough on them. I think they definitely could have gotten – I think they definitely could have taken it to extra time had things gone a little bit differently, um, but it wasn't meant to be, and England got the result. Yeah, it seemed like everything was going England's way. Well, that's a solid summary, Joe, of what has happened so far with England. Now I'm going to hit you with what Norway has gone through in this journey. Uh, you know, in this tournament, the Grasshoppers oh, were able to find six out of nine possible points in Group A. Norway beat Nigeria 3-0 in its first match, scoring all three goals in the first half of the game. The host nation, France, was Norway's second match of the group. Norway lost 2-1 due to, you know, um, those penalties that I love so much, the follow-through penalties. Funny how I say <laughs> this when we live in a day and age where there's video assistance. Um it was a quote-unquote challenge on Torrent when Norway's midfielder Engen tried to clear the ball and follow through. And, of course, the penalty's called, and I'm mad as much as, like, the Norwegians are. Lesomer converted the penalty. Norway would finish in second place with six points after beating South Korea 2-1, leading the Norwegians to their eighth ever round of 16 qualification. And just to top that off, this is the seventh time they have qualified to a quarterfinal, of course, after beating Australia. Now, um, the game against Australia was pretty straightforward. It was straightforward. You got two teams who are even. Australia, of course, people think that they're the better team. But Norway is a team that plays a 4-4-2 formation similar to Australia's. Australia also messes around with a 4-5-1, um, maybe like a 4-3-3 with Sam Kerr as a, as a 9 alone. Well, this time, Norway came out with a 4-4-1-1. And Hansen was a center forward. And she helped out in that position creating for Norway. But nevertheless, Norway scores the first goal. Australia then scores a minute 83 to tie it. And unluckily, that extra time did not go Australia's way. They got a red card, which uh, could it have been a yellow card? Maybe because the attacker wasn't going straight to the goal. But it didn't work their way. And then the penalty shootout, Engen was actually the last one to kick a penalty and score the one that I was talking about earlier, you know, about the controversial um, penalty against yep. France. Um, but, yeah, the game ended 1-1 with a penalty shootout 4-1. And Norway is now in a quarterfinals position and ready to take on your team, England. Yep. So I, I want to ask you first, what are some strengths that England has? Throw them at me. You know, tell me, tell me how they're going to beat my <clears throat> Norway. Absolutely. Uh, I think it all starts up top between Ellen White and Jody Taylor. Um, they're both tremendous in front of goal. And if they get a chance, so far in this tournament, they've buried it. They've been very clinical 
And that's kind of where the main scoring threat has come from England so far this tournament. They also have experience at the back in uh, Houghton and Bright, two terrific central defenders, um, having given up a whole lot of clear opportunities this tournament. And in the midfield, you've got the likes of Jill Scott, who has just recently broken, I believe, the World Cup appearance record for any English player, male or female. Um, So she's a very important piece. She's played every single game so far um and she's yeah she's been phenomenal so they're kind of they're kind of really well balanced all around the pitch gotcha some key players in my um norwegian team is of course the goalkeeper ingrid gelsmith she has gotten scored on three goals in this competition uh, I mean, four goals in this competition. But nevertheless, I think that she's a fantastic keeper. She's definitely had some key saves in the tournament. She's going to be important. Christine Min, uh, Minde, that's their left back. She doesn't attack as much, but she is strong defensively. So she actually stays back while the right back attacks, which is interesting. They stay in a three in the back. And she stays besides Madden Mjelde, who is the grasshopper's captain. She is not too big. She's not too tall. She's not too fast. She's just such a nice player to have in the back because she has played five before, like that six, five position that it's like, uh, you know, the center defensive mid. So she knows how to give um, good passes. She's um, an asset attacking and defending, and she gets to command the whole squad from the back. So that's pretty good. Guru Wrighton, who is uh, their left mid, has had a terrific tournament so far. Scoring one goal and assisting another. Um, Carolyn Hansen is a very interesting player. I named her earlier. She played as a false nine, how we said last time. But she also plays as a right mid. Carolyn Hansen is a player that adds um, the cleverness. You know, like the most beautiful part of this team, I think, is Hansen in terms of what she creates for the other attackers. And she gets herself in really good positions. And she scored in this tournament. Isabel Herlovsen. Now, I think it's the most. She's the most important part of this team, and I'm gonna tell you why. Herlovsen always impacts the match as a forward like no other. And by like no other, I don't mean like Cristiano Ronaldo or you know like somebody who is prolific at scoring mm-hmm. goals. But she has a very particular way of doing this. So in that first match against Nigeria, um, remember there was a known goal. One of the yep. Nigerians scored a known goal. Guess mm-hmm. who created a really nice volleyed cross for that to go in? Herlovsen did. also forced the own goal that Renard scored in the game against France. So that was interesting, too. It was another good cross. Then she scores a penalty against South Korea, and she scores against Australia. She has impacted each one of these games. Even though if it's a little bit of luck, I wouldn't necessarily call it luck. Uh, I'd, I'd call it more of like being an offensive target and just doing your job as an offensive player, you know, getting in good positions, putting the ball in good positions. And she's a team player. So I think she's going to be really, really, really good. And Karina Savic, she's a utility player. She's not a starter. She comes in from the bench. And sometimes she starts, but she's really good. She plays like in the in the winger positions or it could be an attacker as well. So I think this team is ready to take on England um, in all aspects of it. I think England is a really strong squad. But we might see another game similar to Australia um, and Norway where it's a 1-1 game and maybe it goes to at a time. Very similar to all the other quarterfinal games because they're all very good. They all consist of good matchups. Yeah. Well, I think uh, if if you believe it will go to extra time, I really do think perhaps Norway will have the advantage because as we've seen in this tournament, England have started games well. They've scored several goals within the first 15 minutes 
for example, against Scotland, Japan, and Cameroon. Um, they did that. But as the game goes on, it looks like they wear down a little bit. I don't know if it has to do with, you know, fatigue, if the temperatures are a bit higher than they're used to, but they definitely get tired out there. And I think as the tournament goes on, as they play better teams, they're going to punish them because they've conceded late on against Scotland, against uh, Japan. They they are vulnerable when the game um, when the game gets you know longer. So I think if Norway has if Norway wants to you know get a result here, they'll they'll look to push later on. We'll see how that goes because most of their goals have come in the first half, but you never know. It's a quarterfinal match in a World Cup. Anything could happen. Joe, it's a pleasure having you here today. Yep, absolutely. Thank you so much. Thank you. And now for the second quarterfinal game, France versus the USA. This one will be played on Friday, June 28th at 3 p.m. So, ladies and gentlemen, please make sure to make note of that. Marco Martinez is here. Uh, what up? Up- <laughs> Marco Martinez is here to chat about what many think it's the best and most wanted match of the tournament. It's a little bit sad that we're having it in the quarterfinals, but... Whatever, we're still having it. The last time these two sides <laughs> met was during the She Believes Cup, and France came out on top with mm-hmm. a 3-1 victory over the U.S. Marco, how are you, dude? I'm good, man. I'm good. Here, here in Miami, just enjoying life. Very sunny compared to Gainesville, but I'm, I'm honestly just super excited for this match. Like you said, it's unfortunate it's happening in the quarters, but nonetheless, it's going to be a great, great match overall. Yeah, sadly, Marco is back in Miami, and I'm here all alone, literally all alone. All our members are scattered (laughs) around the United States, kind of, right now. Sophia's doing really good with ESPN, Uh, but let's let's, uh, dive right into this upcoming game. But before that, tell me um, about the USA's journey to this position that they find themselves in. Yeah, I got you. All right, so USA... To summarize in one word, dominance. Straight up dominance. In three games of the group stage, they didn't concede a single goal, man. That's ridiculous. They scored a record of 18 goals overall, which is a record for most goals ever in a World Cup in group stage. And they also tied Germany as the only two teams to win their group seven times, man. Seven times. Which is just phenomenal. I mean, and plus, if you guys didn't forget, they obviously scored 13 goals against Thailand. Are we going to forget that? <laughs> yeah, we, we can't forget that. It was ridiculous. So, yeah, they, they also dominated Chile. They had a little bit of a run-in with Chile in the second half. And then Sweden, uh, an easy 2 to nothing victory as well. Gotcha. And what happened in that round of 16 match? So, with the USA and Spain, uh, round of 16, it was the last match that the USA played. To start it off, Joe Ellis kept, kept the same formation as a 4-3-3 with all of her starters. But honestly, the real surprise, in my opinion, was when she decided to start Alex Morgan. She was not 100%, and you have other phenomenal strikers on the bench that you could supply with. I mean, I understand you're trying to go all out to win and use your best players, but Alex Morgan from the get-go just didn't seem like her 100% true self. Let's start off. Spain had the first solid look at goal, and less than a minute in, um, they they had a couple blocked shots, and then... What was ridiculous is that right after, a penalty was called. And mm-hmm. Tobin Heath was fouled inside the penalty box, and Megan Rapino scored it to make it 1-0 in the sixth minute, which made it the fourth goal inside 15 minutes for the U.S. in the entire tournament. So it goes to show that they're just they're not playing games, man. They're, they're, they're coming off the initial whistle and trying to score immediately to just shake things up and throw their opponents off. 
So then the unimaginable happened right after Alyssa Nair, the goalie for the U.S., gave the most unaware pass. That was embarrassing. Center back Becky Starbrun, who was extremely careless with the ball like in her own backfield. I've never seen that before. So she had it stolen away by Spain's right winger, Lucia Garcia. Try to say that 10 times fast. Lucia Garcia, Lucia Garcia. The <laughs> ball deflects straight into Jennifer Hermoso's feet, and she scored the most Hermoso goal I've ever seen in my life. She curls the ball right over Nate Nair's head to tie the game and give the U.S. their first conceded goal of the tournament, man. It was crazy to think that it took them four games in the entire tournament. And honestly, the last time that the U.S. conceded a goal was back on April 4th of this year when they beat Australia 5-3. to three. So think about it. From April to now, dude, that's a 648 minutes that they didn't get scored on. Ridiculous. Wow. Continuing. The U.S. kept firing. Spain kept playing amazing defense throughout the whole game. In the 16th minute, the U.S. had another good clear shot that Rapino just couldn't finish. 21st minute, Crystal Dunn was just short of Alex Morgan's foot. And there was a nice replay that shows Abby Wambach in the stands just freaking out of how close they were. But, you know, move on to the halftime. It was still 1-1. Solid game. Anything could happen, honestly. Spectators, even myself included, there was, you know, a couple opportunities that Spain had, and I was honestly thinking, like, wow, maybe they could pull this off. Then the most controversial call of the tournament arrives, Juan. In the 70th minute, midfielder Virginia Torresilla barely nips Rose Lavelle on her right foot. Barely. She takes two solid steps and then throws herself vigorously and looks up to the ref. The ref then signals a penalty call. And honestly, I yelled blasphemy at the TV. I yelled <laughs> it. after the replays and VAR reviews. You can see, honestly, you can see that Torresilla scrapes Lavelle's foot. And it is a clear penalty. Yeah. But if you're talking technicalities, because I've seen kicks completely worse than that in the penalty box that don't get called. I've seen kicks harder than that in the midfield and players don't fall and keep going because they want to keep possession. So it was questionable, in my opinion. But nonetheless, Megan Rapino steps up, scores a penalty to give the U.S. a goal advantage in the 75th. But, Juan, I want to ask you this. If you're going to call these types of fouls, you got to stay consistent, right? That's a problem with this World Cup that maybe South America is not having at this moment, you know, the Copa America. And uh -huh. it's like their calls have been all over the place. You yeah. get certain calls being called sometimes, certain calls not being called. And then they even go back to bar and watch stuff. And it's really questionable, like the end result, like um, pretty much like the decision that they take. Um, some fouls are weaker than the others and the ones that are weaker are being called. So it's, it's, it's a little bit weird. It's, it's yeah, definitely... no, I completely agree. So the point that I'm trying to make is that, I don't know if you forgot, but literally in the 97th minute of this match, like the final seconds of the match, uh -huh. Irene Paredes had a volley shot inside the box to tie the game completely with the ball. But if you look at the replay, Samantha Mewis ran into her leg, didn't yeah. even touch the ball. And the referee was like a couple feet away, didn't even call anything, didn't hesitate, nothing, just kept going like if nothing happened. Yet it was a clear foul inside the box, just a couple minutes right after you see a foul that barely even happened. So it is questionable. Now, I'm not saying that the USA didn't deserve to win and, and vice versa, but it just really goes to show how much the referees, like, get a say in this game, like how much they control, manipulate the, the official outcome of these matches.
honestly, in this match, I don't really feel like anything else extremely controversial happened. Uh, I think that was the biggest issue overall. USA finished with 10 shots, and their two shots on target were their two penalties. Uh, <laughs> Spain with four shots, and their only goal was on target. No saves on either side, and the U.S. are now 2-0 and all-time against Spain. But what was weird is just, look, I think this is the other controversial thing. That what was weird is, is how long head coach Ellis took to do any substitutions, man. Yeah. Especially in, in Morgan's condition. Like, it took her 85 minutes to take out Morgan, to put in super sub Carly Lloyd. It was just, it was she, weird. because She probably waited moments. because of added time, you know, like a- extra time. They were, she yeah, was waiting. look, I agree. There's probably some things, well, there's obvious things that I just don't know because I'm not on the sidelines, but just from watching the game, you could see Morgan limping in a couple occasions. And True. you start to wonder, did you really need her on the field? She wasn't that you know, crucial to the game. She didn't score at all. None of those penalty kicks involved her whatsoever. She had two good looks, but they were off target completely. So it goes to show how how she's going to be feeling in this match on Friday when they take on France and Park the Prince. We'll, we'll see how she's going to be. Maybe she's back to normal. Maybe she's even more tired because of Joe Ellis putting her in. Yeah, I think now it's a good time to transition into my team, which is France, the one that I've been covering for this World Cup. I've been very excited to cover them. And and it all started in the first day. I think it was on June 7th when France faced South Korea. And of course, they won 4-0, something that many predicted that would happen. Wendy Renard had that game with two magnificent header goals. Um, Henry scored a goal which um, she apparently only scores in very special occasions. And Lesomer, you know, the striker that has the most goals for them, boom, Banks went in. Now, against Norway, really tough match. They won this one because remember how we were talking about penalty controversies? Yeah, yeah. Um, that, that one on Endgame clearing the ball with a follow-through on Torrent. Uh-huh. That, was, that was kind of disappointing. Um, nevertheless, they went on to win that one. with, um, uh, And also, Renard scored that on goal, which was... Um, uh, which was pretty funny. And what's even more funny, it's that in France against Nigeria, Renard scored the winning penalty, but she had to do a retake, and she missed that first one because the Nigeria's keeper came off the line. Uh-huh. So it's definitely been an eventful group stage for France. They've struggled, but at the same time dominated, always dominating more possession against Norway. They had 52 against 48. That was their lowest. Um, France versus South Korea, they had over 60 possession as well as in France against Nigeria with 69. This is their best uh, group stage performance ever in their history in the World Cup, winning all nine points. They scored most goals from crosses, set pieces, including penalties. I mean, they scored, I think, three uh, penalties. They scored two penalties. And like four corners, which is insane in the first seven goals. And then yes, they went on to sure. score two more against uh, uh, against Brazil. And I remember that one of them specifically, well, there were both crosses, if you think about it. The second one was a set piece in the dying minutes of the game and an extra time in minute 107. So it just goes to show how France makes the best out of these still ball situations. They have a lot of um, cards to play. Um, Especially with it, their height, man, honestly. Yeah, and their height helps them out a lot, but they also have really strong players who 
who maybe they're not too tall, but they have a nice like gravity, like a level of gravity. They just like are able to box out players better, and they use their weapons correctly. Now in this France, in this game against Brazil, it was I mean off the start, Govin earned a goal, but apparently it was a foul. She was hurt afterwards, even though she's the one that committed the foul. But she kept on fighting, and in one cross, she was able to connect with it um, perfectly. 1-0, but then just minutes later, I think less than 15 minutes later, Taisa was found herself in the middle of the box. There was a rebound, and she finished. Things got really good in minute 63, and the game went on head-to-head, toe-to-toe. I mean, I feel bad for Brazil because you go and look at Brazil's team like with Cristiane and De Vinha, Ludmila, who was, who was so fast, one of the fastest players in this tournament, yeah, and Barbara, sure. the goalkeeper, who you I can't forget Marta, too, man. Oh, no, Marta, of course. I mean, Marta and Formiga, <laughs> I feel bad for them because it's it's their world for last World Cup, most yeah. likely. Well, I think they said it too. But Barbara, the goalkeeper, I was in, I'm in love with her playing style as a keeper. She's so secure. She holds on to the ball so well on corners, towering over defenders and attackers. Big fan of her. But then in my, minute 107, the magic lady for France, Amadine Henry, the captain, goes on and scores, giving France a 2-1 victory. And now I, I can't wait until this game against USA. And oh, now we're going to get into man. that game against USA. We're going to do some trash talking right now. So, Marco. <laughs> Marco, that was yeah. pretty embarrassing. What your keeper did last time was pretty embarrassing. What happened there? We already talked about it, but is that going to happen against France? Because if that, if that happens against France, we're going to be able to capitalize on each one of those. I right? mean, listen, look. I, I can't even argue because it was extremely embarrassing what she did. She caught Becky Sarburn completely off guard. But, And I, I might even throw myself a little bit under the bus here, too, because it's not the first time she does a weird mistake yeah. against Chile. A free kick went completely underneath her and went inside the goal. the goal. But it was called off sides, which was very fortunate for her. But these are just just weird mistakes that, that are just basic Um that shouldn't be happening for these goalies. Now, for France, dude, I'm sorry, but USA is going to whoop that ass, man. I'm telling you. <laughs> What I'm are telling you, you man. You got, one of, you got the best attacking three players in the entire world on this side with the stars and stripes. You got super sub Carly Lloyd, who's in physical peak condition, and she's coming off the bench, man. Like I feel like you're just not understanding that type of situation right now, bro. You know, I no, I understand fully. You know why? Because <laughs> Buhari, the the keeper for France, only had two saves in group stages and a couple more saves against uh, Brazil. Mm -hmm. She's been untested. Same with your keeper, though. So it goes both ways, you know. Yeah. Now Renard, Renard is also not the best defender. She's a good attacker, but she's very big. She's not fast. I don't know how she's going to keep up with, let's say, Morgan or Tobin Heath or, oh my god, what if they like sub in, what's her name? Oh my god, I forget Kristen her name. Press. Kristen Press. Oh, Kristen running down Press that wing so cutting nasty. in behind defenders. She's so it's, nasty. It's scary. Honestly, it's scary. We we have too many shots, France, but we don't seem to score most of them. Look, uh, our conversion I feel like, rate is not the best, man. Yeah, I feel like the most underrated player in the entire U.S. squad that doesn't get mentioned a lot is Julie Ertz, man. Julie, Julie Ertz, Ertz is the best. Commands that center defensive back. She's just so solid. She's, in the she's the brains she's, of the team. She's yeah, that's physical that's too. exactly what I was going to say. She initiates every single attacking play. She will intercept whatever ball in her way. And she just has tremendous vision. And she's Wait. so, like, 
it's ridiculous of how aggressive she is because she's, she has that same mentality as her husband who plays tight end for the Philadelphia yeah. Eagles. They're both so athletic, man. They're both so crazy good. And I can't wait until they're, I don't know if they have a baby right now. I don't know. But if they do have a baby, that kid's going to be a monster. <laughs> I can't wait for that. <laughs> now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you something. How I'm going to defend uh, my team is Bathy, our center back, number 19. She okay. is quick. She makes up for Renard's pace, and she had a underlying clearance against Brazil. And I don't doubt her doing that again. She is going to be the savior of this defense because Marion Torret is a pretty good defender. Madri, she's not the best defender. She's a number 10 that plays left back. So she's so good going forward. I think France needs to grab possession, command. This is their ground. This is France. They are the home team. They grab that ball oh, and take it forward. They can't fear the U.S. I think yeah. that's going to be my last thought on this. France cannot fear the U.S. The US because they even beat them 3-1 some yeah. months ago. So Yeah, yeah. They have that experience, that's... and that, that fan base behind them is going to add a lot of pressure on USA. Well, the, Marco, the stadium's going to be super loud, but yeah. We're running, we're running out of time, but is there anything else you want to add to this? I think we've done a pretty good job. Let's see. Predictions? One, I, I honestly believe that this might go into PKs, man. I really do PKs, think that this would be might like the, PKs. That would be the best but worst thing that could happen. It's Name poetry. Just... It's poetry in motion, man. That's exactly what everyone wants. Just as long as this game can go, that's that's all I want. Kind of like a 2018 FIFA Men's World Cup, France-Belgium type of situation. Yeah. Because that game was phenomenal. But I want this game to last completely, like all 120 minutes and PKs, man. You know, it's funny because I, I thought you were going to come out here and say, you know, like the U.S. is winning this one like straight off the bat, 90 minutes. Oh, they no, no, no. USA is going to win. but off <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm going to stick with my French team. I'm going to say that this is going to be the game of my dreams, the game that I it's going to go into extra time. It's going to be tied <laughs> 2-2. Of my dreams. And then on extra time, Amandine Henry is going to score another goal to make Henry, it 3-2. Okay. To score another important goal. So I I have a smile on my face right now, right now, Marco. I cannot wait until this game. And I know you too. Oh, I know you have a wait, smile dude. right there too, brother. Yeah, I'm already wearing my USA jersey right now, dude. Gotcha. Well, Marco, as always, pleasure talking to you. But we're not done yet. Because now we're going to jump into Germany versus Sweden. And John is going to join us. Here, we have John Michelli, who has joined Marco and I. John, how are you? I'm good, man. How are you guys doing? Good. Are you ready to good. talk some Germany versus Sweden? Born ready. All right. So, Germany and Sweden will be playing Saturday, June 29th at 12.30 p.m. And, John, kick it off. Tell us about Germany and their road to this quarterfinal stage. Germany... To this point, they're undefeated. I mean, obviously undefeated, but I mean, like, no draws either. Only wins. After, under, after like, underwhelming against Spain and Nigeria in their first two group stage games, they crushed South Africa 4-0. So going into this game against Nigeria, they built up a little momentum. They got a 3-0 win. It was a pretty comfortable victory. I mean, 70% possession, 13 shots. Like, they doubled Nigeria's shots on goal. Uh, they still haven't conceded at all in this tournament. Uh, kept clean sheets every game. And as far as players, uh, their captain, Alexander Pop, their striker, she's now scored in two straight games. So that's good for her that she's starting to get those goals. 
And midfielder Sarah Dobritz has scored in three straight games. So they've got a few players in form. And the thing about Germany is they really have looked better every game so far. Gotcha. Um, what about that game against uh, Nigeria, the round of 16 game against Nigeria? What happened there? Uh, yeah, so they set up in that game and in, a, in the game against South Africa. They set up in like a 4-4-2, but it was like very attack-minded. So like at right back, they started like Julia Gwynn, who's like a, a winger. And, yeah. like, she's had a really good tournament so far. But the, the, the thinking behind that was that she would just push up the field all day. Like they didn't really need to defend so much against those weaker teams. So they just went like all out attack kind of against those. And I mean, it paid off for them. They scored a bunch of goals. But I don't expect them to do something like that against Sweden. Like I don't expect them to go so much attacking because Sweden would mark like their toughest opponent yet in this tournament. And they would kind of like, they will definitely like be more wary of them. Completely agree. Gotcha. Marco, tell us uh, Sweden's journey. They were not undefeated like Germany, so you probably are fearing that a little bit. But um, you can. I'm never scared. You, you can tell us what happened with Sweden and what happened in that round of 16 match. Go ahead. Yeah, for sure. So, Sweden overall in Group F, they finished off in second place with six points. They scored seven overall goals and conceded three uh, two goals versus the US and one against Thailand. So, that Thailand game. Actually, let's start off with the first game. Sweden versus Chile, right? I think this is where I'm a little iffy on the squad. I, I understand it was the first game of the tournament, but they've had this issue throughout every single game that they've played. They start off kind of slummish, you know, kind of kind of slow in every single 30 minutes, I'd say, in, in every single game. They just don't know what's, what's really going on. They're sluggish. They're... It's, it's like they have no type of effort or motivation to, to kind of capitalize on these counterattacks or just create any initial um, offensive attacking mode. They're always playing defensively and waiting for the opponent to do something first. Uh, Chile didn't allow a single goal until the 72nd minute after the rain delay. Sweden won 2 nothing Against Thailand, obviously it's an easier team. They won 5-1. to one. However, they still let up a goal to the, I would arguably say, the worst team in the entire tournament. Not ranking-wise, just playing style-wise. And then USA, they just couldn't find the back of the net. And that second goal was a controversial uh, no-offsides call. I understand it was a deflection, but it was still aimed at Alex Morgan. And then Lindsey Horan uh, found the back of the net. So, moving forward. In the game between Sweden and Canada... It was yeah. a pretty solid game overall. And like I just mentioned, Canada was dominating in the first 30 minutes. And, you know, the last time that these two teams met, it was actually earlier this week. Uh, not this week. This year, March 6th. Uh, Canada won in PK 6-5 in the Algarve, in the Ar Ar Algarve Cup? Algarve yeah. Cup? Yeah. yeah. I know what so, you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a solid game, too. So these two teams have, every single time they've met, it's always an even matchup. Because they play that same type of style, you know, counterattack, midfield possessions, play on the, on the right and left flanks. So Canada was honestly just showing their true dominance. It was a strong possession of the midfield and a couple good looks at the goal. But the match ended scoreless, headed into the halftime locker rooms. And like I said, people did expect this to be an even match. But in the 55th minute, I, I don't know if you guys remember this, but that pass by Kosovare Aslani was phenomenal. Like it was genius. a breakaway. Yes, like yes, it was, it was just, yeah, that, that name is sick, honestly. <laughs> I, if I could change my name, and like anytime soon, 
I would want that to be my name. It's like it's pretty badass. Yeah. So yeah, Kosovaria Slane on honestly proved her 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 skill set to be phenomenal with an amazing through ball to Stina Blaxinius. And Blaxinius has that offensive awareness to chip it over goalie Labay. And it was just a great goal overall. Now, yeah, number four, the defender was like so close Zadorsky. to the ball yeah, for like Shalina three Zadorsky. seconds. She was she could have slid honestly if she would have slid or thrown herself on the ground. She could have stopped that I, ball. I, I, I think I, I don't know why she didn't do it. I think the ball was so perfect it roamed right in front of her that she she just thought that she was gonna get to it for like two seconds, but like she never did because like it was just perfect. But yeah. what a goal! Yeah. Um, okay. Golasso, and, and, and another factor is your keeper, man. I mean, Sweden's oh, keeper dude, is let me insane. Get there for sure. Look, what followed afterward was was weird, honestly. So there was a handball in the I want to say ten minutes after, in like the sixty fifth minute. Oh yeah, yeah. Yes. So yeah. it was. Um, let me see. Scott. Scott there we go. Yeah, kicking, it was Scott. Yeah. Scott uh-huh. kicked the ball off a of volley in a corner that uh, Christine Sinclair headed it, and she rebounded it straight to her. As she kicked the volley towards the goal, it's it's funny because it's the same girl, Kosovari Aslani. She's everywhere, defensive and offensive. Yeah. She's, she's a great a player. Tournament. Yeah, she's she's a great player overall. She's not even from Sweden, bro. She's from uh, Kosovar. Yeah, Kosovo. Kosovo, there you go. She's yeah. an immigrant, bro, which is crazy. So she's repping hard. So, yeah, she stretched out to deflect the ball with her hand. Uh, the VAR checked it out. She got a yellow card. And what really tripped me out was – Instead of Christine Sinclair, the all-time Canadian goal scorer leader, instead of her stepping up to the to take the PK, the young girl, it was Janine Becky. Yeah. yeah, she shot it fairly well. Look, look, in all argument, she did shoot well. Yeah, it was Ambrose, a really good Hedvig, Hedvig Lindahl. Oh my God, the way she stretched out was just phenomenal, dude. Like, like Key. the way she like distorted her body to just make it seem like a full, perfect one hundred and eighty degree angle. She looked like a pencil, man. That was just, athletic, all right. It was just beautiful. It was beautiful. So Sweden finished the match with nine shots, two on target with 45% possession. But they ended with a with a victory. And, and at the end of the day, it's all about who scores. Because Canada they're... finished with 65% possession and 11 shots. But Sweden's defense was just too much to handle. They They concluded with 21 tackles, four blocks, and 25 clearances, man. 25 clearances. Wow. They ran the team down. They ran the Canadians down. And, yeah. and now there's no... The U.S. is the only North American team in the uh, in the competition. It's we saw the Canada only, would, yeah. would go by. But it's, uh, it's only, all European. Yeah. Yeah, I was about to say. It's the only team non-European that, that's left in the tournament, which is crazy, yeah. honestly. Yeah. And... Um, now I think it's a good time now that you told me what happened in each one of those games. Let's go and talk about what will happen on June 29th in between Germany and Sweden. Germany's go going down. Yeah. <laughs> John, <laughs> do you have any defenses against Marco Sweden? Yeah, I do want to say a few things. I think, first of all, I think this is going to be a really good game. I mean, Germany's number two ranked team, Sweden's number nine ranked team. Mm-hmm. This is definitely the toughest test Germany has faced so far. For sure. Um, I do want to... So, I did mention how attacking Germany was in their last couple games. I don't think they'll be as attacking against Sweden. I think uh, Catherine Heinrich could start at right back. And I think Carolyn Simone could come back in the team at left back. They're, yeah. like, really good players and definitely, like, really good at crossing still and getting up the field. But they have those defensive capabilities that will definitely, like, help them against Sweden. And I also want to say... 
that star midfielder Jennifer Marijan is looking like she's coming back. The coach said she's very optimistic that she'll play in this next game. She missed the whole group stage after she broke her toe against China. And she still played that whole game against China for some reason after breaking her toe. That's crazy. (laughs) She's coming back, and she pulls all the strings in that German midfield. So that could be a problem for Sweden. You're ready for the Terminator. She's coming back. (laughs) It's pretty scary, not going to lie. But all right, to my defense, listen, John. Oh, no. I don't think you know what my Sweden has in store, man. Look, that game against Thailand, like I said, I know Thailand's not a strong opponent. Thailand, bro. Listen, but five goals, all from five different players, man. It's not about this one significant player on the team. It's about the whole team as one. They just have beautiful team chemistry, and you could blame all of that on Peter Gerhardsen. That head coach has been phenomenal throughout this entire tournament. After losing the USA 2-0, he went into the locker room, told them to keep their head high. They just played the best team in the entire world, and they played it. Fantastic, honestly. Losing just 2 nothing, and it should have been 1-0, it's not bad against the number one ranked yeah. team in the world. Listen, you got Hedvig Lindau at goalie. You got Linda Simbrandt, who goes in for headers. Neela Fisher, who's like a phenomenal defensive player. Their best set piece kicker, Magdalena Eriksson at number six. Yo, I'm telling you, John, you got to watch out for Eriksson. As I mentioned, Immigrant right. Aslani, who is a fantastic player. Sophia Jacobson on the left side, who just balls out every single time. And then you got <laughs> – it's, it's crazy. Like, I'm just naming all these players that just play phenomenal, top-level type of soccer every single game that they go out. Not to mention Stina black And then off the bench, you got Janogi, man. So I'm just saying watch out for Sweden. Don't underestimate them whatsoever because these two European powerhouses, they're going to have a great game, just like USA – and France, it's going to be yeah. even evened out throughout the entire 90 minutes. But I think Sweden's going to pull it off 2-1. to one. I do want to mention that uh, at the beginning of this tournament, uh, the striker, the German striker Pop, was not scoring any goals. But like oh. you said, the, the team stepped up. Like you mentioned that uh, Sweden had a bunch of different scores against Thailand. The same can be said about Germany. The, a lot of the players really stepped up. In Pop's absence when she wasn't scoring goals, I mean, and in Marijan's absence when she went down. Like, midfielder, midfielder Sarah Dobritz, like I did say, she scored in three straight games. So it's good that everyone on this team really stepped up, and they're yeah. just continually improving every game. And I, one thing I do want to say that I'm nervous about, Marco, is that uh, the German goalkeeper, Schultz, she's a really good goalkeeper. But she has not been tested this tournament at all. Okay, okay, so okay. So if she faces a ton of shots from Sweden, like I'll, I'll, I want to see what's going to happen because she's really, I mean, she's really been cruising through these games so far. So okay, I have a thank you for that tip. That. Thank you for that tip. Now, what I'm nervous about my team, it's not the goalie because, because Lindahl is phenomenal, but it's about the 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 mindset that this team has. Like I mentioned with Canada, Canada was dominating those first thirty minutes. Man, Sweden didn't know what they were doing. Like, it just looked like middle schoolers playing soccer. And Germany needs to take advantage of that if they want to pull out. Because I'm just letting you know right now, Germany has to go out with that goal-scoring mentality in the first 10 to 15 minutes. They have to be up one to nothing. If not, Sweden's going to be a huge problem against Germany because they're definitely a second-half team. I like this. The thing about Germany's mentality is that that's that's been, like, a focus of the team. Like... Everyone on the team is like serial winners. Everyone, yeah. 
everyone like when they uh domestically their clubs they always they're all on good clubs they're all like used to winning the national team like used to winning and even before the tournament started the U some players on the u.s national team uh mentioned germany's mentality and how like and how the, that's the team that they're most scared of is because uh -huh. like of that german mentality and how they're just like how they're they're not scared of anything and they're, they're they go out there to win guys let me interrupt for a second but Germany has scored four goals out of their six last goals. Four goals have come in the first 30 minutes of yeah. the match. So, Ooh. Marco, get ready. Alexander Puff is coming for you. That's going to be fun, dude. I'm, I'm not worried, man. We got Linda Zimbrandt. We got Neela Fisher, bro. I'm not worried. They're going to hold it down in the back. Watch. All right, Watch. Guys. All right. This is, <laughs> I, I, think we'll this was, I think this was a good discussion here about Germany and Sweden, this quarterfinal that we will watch soon. And the last game that we have left to cover is Saturday's game, and it's one of the two games on Saturday, June 29th. It's at 9 a.m., Italy against the Netherlands. And yes, I have Sophia right next to me. Well, not right next to me, but on the line. And we're ready to talk about some Netherlands, Italy, and how they got here. Sophia, how are you? I'm doing well. How about yourself? Great, great. I'm ready to listen to what you got to say about these two teams. I mean, we've been talking about it as the World Cup has gone, but just to remind our listeners, what happened in the in the group stages? All right. Well, the group uh, the round of 16 was, um, I think, one of the best. You kind of think of it as like a March Madness type of thing. It is expect the unexpected, and um, I have continuously said this throughout this podcast that. Italy has been kind of the team that no one expected to be the best in Group C, and it's just continued to prove people wrong. And for Group C, Italy is now the last team standing um, in there as they go on to the quarterfinals. And this is their first time making a quarterfinals appearance since 1991, and that was wow. the inaugural year um, of the tournament, and that was when it was for the, went from the group stage to the quarterfinals, so that wasn't even a round of 16. So that's a little tidbit there, and that's how long it's been for Italy. And um, just juxtaposing it with their men's national team. It is just completely ironic that their women's team has just done so well um, in this tournament. But they are coming off um, a great match. Um, they won 2-0 against China. Um, Valentina Garasini scored in the 15th minute. And then Aurora Gali uh, at the end, being, opening up the half in the 49th minute, scored um, a banger. I guess is the best way you say it. Um, it was a right-footed shot from outside the box to the bottom left-hand corner, and it was just astounding. Um, you can, you know what's crazy that the goalkeeper, the Chinese goalkeeper, had had some crazy saves, and she wasn't able to save that one. But not because it was a really hard; it was just a well-struck shot from outside the box. Those little bouncy shots that it bounces three, two times before the ball gets to the to the goal those are difficult to save and we know that china's goalkeeper she's young and she's agile she's quick and she's long and she wasn't even able to get like get to that one it just goes to show how good of a kick that was and she was just subbed in so impressive you know, stuff from her exactly and you know um if you looked at the reaction of her face after she saw that goal go through and hit the back of the net. She just had that face where I think she was really trying to hold in her the, the tears. I mean, all the players on the pitch from China. This was um this was a tough match for them for sure. Um, but on the other hand, you can just see how elated Italy was and just how proud they are that they have just gone through so much adversity to get to this point. And now that they are here, um, 
you know, going past the knockout stage and going into uh, the quarterfinals, which is just something that I don't think I that was I think that was their goal. Their goal when they came into the World Cup was to make it past the round of 16 and that they have reached this goal. And it is going to be an intense match against the Netherlands, actually, um, which is going to be a very it's going to be a very highly anticipated match having, you know, four of arguably the best forwards in soccer and in football right now. So when you yeah. have someone like League Martins and Vivienne, those are great players, and that is going to be a threat to Italy. But I think that the Netherlands have Italy are just as um, just as worried and just as nervous about playing Italy as Italy is for the Netherlands because, as you can see, that Italy just keeps on breaking barriers. You and know, it, it, it Italy. Italy has gone through like a whole crash course in this tournament. I'm, I mean, they've played against Brazil. They've played against um, Australia. Australia. Then they play against China, which is one of those crazy teams that they're so organized and they're so strong. They're always going to kick you. They're going to be really physical against you. And you get past them 2-0. Hey, China had some good chances, but Italy did very well to keep this, you know, in their side, and now they're gonna face the Netherlands. And like you said, the Netherlands Martins just scored two goals in her, yes. in, in her game. So talk to me about these Netherlands team, this Netherlands team, and how they did like coming up to this point. So, um, like you said, Leek Martins had um, she had a, a ninety minute um, a penalty in the ninetieth minute, which um, got them into the quarterfinals, secured their spot, and then she scored again in the seventeenth minute. Um, definitely, that was an important penalty. For the Netherlands, she was under a lot of pressure in that moment. Not as much pressure as Sam Kerr against Australia um, <laughs> earlier this week, but she was in pressure. Uh, the Netherlands were tied with Japan 1-1, final minute of regulation, and she scores a beautiful penalty um, and to secure their spot. So she is someone who, you know, the penalty gods were in her favor um, at that moment, and she, um, she definitely helped lead the team. But it's not just... Um, it's not just Leek Martins that is pulling this team together. They really do have um, a great team. And um, Netherlands coach Serena Wigman um, applauds her team, just gives them a lot of accolades. Um, at the end of the match, she just said, we're standing in a circle after the match, and we're just so happy. We're yelling at each other. Like, we are excited. We're continuing to write history. And that was something that she was saying. And I think that was amazing. And she said, we'll enjoy this victory, and we'll start thinking about Italy tomorrow. And that was what she said right after the match. And so um, – you can. It's great to see when man, uh, when coaches are proud of their team and wanting them to come forward. But they were enjoying that moment that they made it this far. I mean, this is their second World Cup appearance. Just reminding that. And so, I mean, yeah. they are the 2017 Euro champs. So there was a lot of anticipation for them coming into the tournament. But this is an incredible. They're making history for them and for their country and for their team. So it was really great um, to see. They did allow a goal um, in the 43rd minute from Japan. Um, but they were able to come back, like I said, Lake Martins. Um, so it was, it's been, it was a great, it was, um, just a very anticipated match and just, it was very, it, Netherlands came out strong in the end. And I think coming into this matchup, people were expecting Netherlands to win. So it was great to see them be able to pull through. You know, I was watching this game and I saw that Japan goal and I totally fell in love with it. It was definitely the best, in my opinion, of course, the best goal of the tournament so far. It wasn't a oh, long oh. shot. It wasn't a... A crazy strike. It's just 
the connection between Hasegawa, Iwabuchi, and Sugasawa was 10 out of 10. That goal was the f- most fun to watch. How Iwabuchi lets it go through her legs after um, Sugasawa passes it, and then Hasegawa just clear finish. Um, and she scored on like the Netherlands keeper was on fire this game. She was doing so well. Let's remember how in that second half, it was all Japan. Japan oh, dominated sure. that second half, hit the post, but the goalkeeper was on her toes and she saved a couple that japan could have easily scored and 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 that penalty in the 90th minute dagger for japan i felt bad no it definitely was but going back to that 43rd minute goal by japan i mean hasagawa's right it was a right footed shot from um i believe the center of the box and it just it was beautiful and like you said it was probably one of the best best goals that we've seen in the tournament without a doubt that was yeah. a strong goal i mean you looked at that at the end and you were like hey that wasn't even bad goalkeeping on the netherlands that was just great yeah you know that was just a great touch by japan and that was a great goal so i mean it was i mean japan obviously i mean if you look at back at the video they looked very i mean complacent the entire time when they were losing there was not a lot of emotion i mean in juxtaposition with the china versus italy game china looked visibly upset at the end of the match and even throughout the match. I mean, um, it was just, you can see the emotions and the sadness and the frustration they were having on the pitch. But in juxtaposition, Japan looked very complacent. So I thought that was something that was very interesting to see. You know what's funny? That one time my dad plays golf, right? He, he went over he went over to me and he goes like, you know, I play with this Japanese dude. And it's really fun playing with him. Because even when he's having the worst game of his life, he's there just laughing and having a good time. So he definitely sends some good vibes to my son. <laughs> I don't know why, but it reminded me of that comment that my dad um, said a while ago. Yeah, so I, I think they, it's they part were, of their culture. Yeah, it's kind of like they're they're okay. They're looking forward for the next chance. I exactly. feel like that's what it looked like. But they always had that next chance, but they never converted. Well, nevertheless, you got two superpowers going against each other. Italy, a little unswung hero. Not many people knew what they were capable of doing. And the Netherlands, who won the twenty, um, who won the European Championship. I think in 2017. Yes. So what's going to happen in this game, Sophia? I mean, you know, what's great about this matchup is that I don't think that I'm not coming in there picking a team or having kind of an anticipation. I think this is going to be like a, I want to say this is going to be like a three, two, four, three. Like, I think this is going to be a close matchup. I wouldn't be surprised if this match goes into extra time. I'm thinking maybe a three, three, and then going into extra time. This is a, these are two very, well-orchestrated teams. They work well together. There's a lot of great chemistry on the pitch on both ends. Italy's very fast-paced, has great defense, and they're great on both sides of the ball. When you have players like Gali and Venancia, like, you cannot count these players out. And then you have Italy that has Martins, Vivian, or the Netherlands that have the Vivian and um, Leek Martins. Those are very dynamic players. They're great on the pitch. They're versatile in what they want to do. So I see this being a very, um, I can see this being a, a more of a high-scoring match. But I can also see that each, both teams' defenses giving each other a hard time. I'll be interested to see what formations um, they're going to end up playing. Um, in this last one, uh, Netherlands played a, a 4-3-3. A four three three, and I and you know originally Italy was supposed to, Italy was anticipated to be playing a four three three as well, but against Ch- Italy or against China they played um, I want to say a four two 
or a four, three, two, one. Um, let me just double check that really quickly. Um, we can cut that out, right? Yeah, I can. Uh, yeah, you okay. can fix if you said something wrong. I could fix it. Okay, it was a four, three, one, two. Okay, so let me start this again. So, um, I'll be interested to see what formation that they end up um, using. Italy, the Netherlands against Japan did a four, three, three, and against China, Italy switched it up into a four, three, one, two. So, um, they've been changing. Italy's definitely been changing up their formation, but it's been very dynamic. I think having. Um, Girelli, um in the one spot is just has been dynamic for them. Obviously, she scored for um, the Italians, so uh, it'll be interesting to see what they're able to do. And for the Netherlands, on the other hand, having Medima and Martins and Vendesan, um and Vendesand having yeah, there, having that as your top three, as your four or three, that is um, a lethal force right there. So I'll be very interested um, to see how this turns out. But I definitely think that this is something that I wouldn't be surprised if this goes down to extra time and maybe even penalties because these are two very aggressive teams. And, you know, it's, it's funny because your description of this game is very like the description of the other three games. Um, I think we were gifted. We were gifted with the quarterfinals that each one of those will feel like finals, right? All of those teams are teams that potentially deserve to be in the finals. You got the Netherlands. You got Italy. You got the USA in there. I mean, you got Norway, who, you know, won the first tournament ever. So, there, I mean, the second tournament ever. There is definitely, we're going to see a lot of good football. And this is a tournament like no other. We're going to see top class playing in these quarterfinals. Then there's just going to be leftovers for the semifinals. And then the finals, it's going to be great. It doesn't matter who it is. France is still in there fighting hard. Germany's in there. So um, I'm really excited for what's to come. Uh, but I, I want to thank you, Sophia, for coming onto, um, onto the show again. I know that you're working really hard with ESPN and everything. So thank you. No problem. Thank you so much for having me. Awesome. No problem. So that was it for episode nine of the Gator Congregation. Here at the Gator Congregation, we like to end the episode by also thanking the listeners. We appreciate every single one of you for spending your time listening to us. Go follow us on Twitter. Our Twitter handles will be in the description below. Also, make sure to subscribe to the Gator Congregation on SoundCloud and read our web stories found on WRUF.com. Stay tuned with the Gator Congregation and we are out.